Welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Today's interview guest is Dan Layden, a phenomenal soccer illustrator whose work appears on my new newsletter. You can sign up for a free or paid subscription at grantwall.substack.com. It has all my writing, including a big feature on Jesse Marsh, and I'll be on the ground for the newsletter covering every U.S. Men's World Cup qualifier. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your support with that. Before we get to Dan Layden, let's start with some talk about the soccer weekend with my friend Chris Whittingham, who you can hear on Univision, Paramount Plus, Inter Miami, and the Dan Lebetard Show. Chris, thanks for joining me. How are you? Doing all right, sir. How are you? I am good. How many games did you call this weekend? I feel like I should always ask this. <laughs> You're everywhere. It was a tame weekend. It was only two for me this weekend. Uh, I had uh, I had Saturday. I had the uh, MLS on Univision match, which was Colorado hosting the Galaxy. That finished one one, and then Inter Miami last night on local TV for uh, my thirty three. That was a one nil over the crew. The busy week is this week. I've got four coming up this week. Uh, Inter Miami schedule uh, a Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, Friday, very busy coming up here, and then Oof. I've got uh, both ends of the MLS doubleheader for Univision on Saturday, which is a three thirty kickoff and a ten p.m. kickoff. So. Uh, I've got I've got a busy week ahead. Well, I am so psyched to see you doing Inter Miami local TV with Ray Hudson uh, when Dre Cordero is doing his CBS work, and I do have a question here because I've never done this before. Do you practice your goal calls ahead hmm. of time? Is that does that come straight from deep inside your soul? I, I love your goal calls. <laughs> oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really, I don't practice them, but I have thought a lot about them, uh, which is to say that, like, I do, I've done a lot of studying of how other commentators do it, kind of like the layers, like beginning, middle, and end, how you wrap things up. Um, I kind of thought about, like, how you use your voice. Like, I've kind of, I talked on the Levitard show once about not wanting to be too shouty um, and, like, trying to, like, use power in your voice. So, like, I've thought a lot about them, um, but when, you can't prepare for things that happen. Like, you know, yesterday during uh, the Univision match, I was kind of, like, in the middle of stories and then all of a sudden cross, header, bang. And then in the Inter-Miami game, you know, Columbus is building out from the back. You're not going to go pass to pass to pass Williams, Valenzuela, Nagby. And like, and so Josh Williams has the ball. He tries to pay, play it back to the goalkeeper and gives the ball away. Iguain scores. He can't be ready for that. So you just have to kind of belt it out in that moment. <laughs> well, I'm really enjoying it. And Thank I can you. only imagine what it must be like to do a broadcast with Ray Hudson. Absolute legend. <laughs> oh, he's and, the best. He's, he's, and he still gets me, man. That's the thing is that like, <laughs> I've listened to Ray for so many years and I know a lot of the sayings. I know when they're coming, but there was one yesterday. I think it was Luis Diaz of Columbus was doing like tricks and flicks outside of the air. And he goes, he's more slippery than a drunken snake. And I'm like, where did that come from? I've never heard that one before. Like he's got so many. I love Ray so much. And, and it must just be a lot of fun to to do that with him. Um, and, and by the way, I'm going to bring this up later in our conversation here. Inter Miami is actually a team now. Yes. Like, uh, so I, I do want to get your take on that a bit later on. I just want to let you know, I am sort of recovered now from the trip to three different U.S. qualifiers. I'm going to go to every single one. Uh, for my Substack newsletter, and I was so exhausted. I haven't pulled an all-nighter in about 20 years, I don't think. I pulled basically three all-nighters, one oh on God. every game, <laughs> and I got through it and got home Thursday night from Honduras. I was so exhausted, like next-level yeah. exhausted. And then there was sort of the, the lingering effects like, I haven't had Red Bull in years. I had Red Bull on this trip to try and get me through the night while I was working. Because I'm, I'm posting a magazine-style story by 9 a.m. Eastern after every U.S. qualifier. I've never had to do that before. Even though I was working for the magazine, we were a weekly, and so I only had to write one, not three. But really enjoying it, uh, really enjoying the quality. I did in Honduras not find Red Bull, and so I tried a Honduran energy drink. <laughs> Honduran Energy Drink is a great cover band that you can find at your local brewery on Thursday nights. I, I'm a little concerned about the Honduran Energy Drink and the impact <laughs> it might have on me in the long term. Um, so check back with me down the road. Uh, 
but I, I am a bit more refreshed. I got some sleep uh, the last couple of days and, and uh, am, am raring to go for this podcast. I, I do want to start Cristiano Ronaldo. Returns yeah. to Man United, scores two goals in his first game back, 4-1 win over Newcastle. It is only one game, Chris, but I do recall that when we talked, when Ronaldo signed with United, you thought this was a bad fit. And yeah. I'm wondering, only one game, do you still think Ronaldo is a bad fit there? Um, I, It's a better fit than I thought, but I still think that he has such an aura around the way that he plays and like every touch. And it was funny because like when you say something like that, I'm watching the game. Not, I mean, well, first of all, I'm a Manchester City fan, so I don't really root for Manchester United <laughs> success. But I was kind of hoping like, man, I really hope this doesn't work. And then he scores a couple goals. But you can see all the United players are looking to play through him, right? He is very much the center of the orbit for that team. And you wonder how much it does affect other players. Bruno Fernandes, I think, struggled to get in the game, although he scores a cracking goal. And so that's kind of paved over for a game. I do want to see more games. I want to see higher level competition. I actually thought Newcastle were up for it. Another uh, moment where I had egg on my face was I tweeted about five minutes before Ronaldo's second goal that I thought Miguel Almiron had stole the show. He was amazing in the game uh, and like had a couple of lung-busting runs and was creating chances. So Newcastle were up for it for about 60 minutes, but then United just completely broke that dam. And Ronaldo was good in this game. I, I thought his movement was good. You can see just how sharp his mind is to go and chase the chances that are there. Even the first goal, whatever, the keeper makes a bad save and it ends up right at his doorstep. But he's always alert to that. He's always ready to be in goal-scoring positions. So he's going to score plenty of goals. The question is, in those high-level games when United doesn't have the ball, he's got to do some defensive work. Can you, game after game after game, produce like he's going to have to for United to achieve their aims? I also thought Luke Shaw, a terrific play on the second goal. Uh, for Ronaldo, and and it was one one, you know, at that point. So big play to to get the lead back. Uh, I love Luke Shaw, by the way. I I, I think he's a <laughs> terrific player. Uh, I think the Man United fans I know are big Luke Shaw fans, and and were of him in his performance during the Euros for England as well, and very impressed there. I know one of the points you made about Bruno Fernandez in the last time we talked about this on the podcast was not a great track record of Bruno Fernandez working with Cristiano well on the national team. And Bruno's goal in this game just kind of came out of nothing. He wasn't defended yeah. very well. Great strike. So it's not necessarily from how he worked with Ronaldo, but um, that's something to keep an eye on too, as we move forward. And, you know, Marcus Rashford is out until October, it says, with his uh, with a shoulder situation. Um, Mason Greenwood didn't play in this game. He'd gotten off to a good start. You had said before that you think Ronaldo has to start every game, basically, for United. I said I wasn't so sure about that. Um, is that going to be an issue as we move along here, potentially with other players on this United team, other attackers who are not going to get as much playing time now? Well, it does depend on kind of the form of certain players, right? Jaden Sancho is a player who was brought in as a huge money signing to create a real dynamic, and he hasn't yet. And again, you wonder how these pieces all fit together. Mason Greenwood has started the season really well. He's a brilliant finisher. And so I'm curious how, if he's still on form when Rashford comes back, how does that look? United did well to offload a player in getting Daniel James off to Leeds, but they do have more players than positions. Jesse Lingard scored a great goal in this game coming off the bench. It was a fantastic move uh, with Paul Pogba working the ball incredibly well, and then Lingard with the finish. They've got a lot of great attacking talent, which is how United used to be, right? They used to have more good attacking players and positions available. So it's always going to be a problem. I just think that Ronaldo is just this personality where he does not take being on the bench. He does not take, you know, not playing the full 90 minutes. That's kind of like his personality, his issues with previous coaches who have dared to bench him after 70 minutes is that I'm not having this. I'm a starter and I play 90 minutes. So that was kind of, it was more a personality thing than a fit thing. And so I'll be curious if he does eventually demure and maybe allow other United attackers to shine. I do want to get into one thing I tweeted, which is that for a number of reasons, not just Ronaldo by any means, this Man United team is more watchable than Man United teams have been for me in recent years. And for me, 
when Man United is more watchable and more relevant, I think that is better for the sport. I am not a Man United fan. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it was just interesting to me. I don't think that's a controversial take, to be honest. And I know how tribal the sport is. I also know how uh, people have seized, as, as they should, on Ronaldo's rape accusation out in Nevada. It is not a criminal case at this point. The DA in Vegas did not choose to pursue it. It is still a civil case. Um and, and that's where we are on the legal side of things. I guess what I would just say is, again, like I've covered this story going back to 2018. I had a long interview with the Der Spiegel editor when that story came out on Catherine Mayorga's accusations of Cristiano Ronaldo. He denies them, by the way. Um, and so... I understand all of this. It's serious. I've covered it. I haven't whitewashed anything. And yet it's very hard to tweet right now about Man United as a team and and, and have not have a barrage of people saying you're whitewashing things by not talking about Cristiano Ronaldo and this accusation. Like, I get it. I've covered it a lot. Yeah. And so I, I'm still trying to sort of work my way through how I want to tweet about, how I want to discuss United. Um, and I guess what I would ask you first is just about my tweet. Where are mm -hmm. you on this in terms of Man United being sort of relevant again? I kind of think when the Dallas Cowboys are, yeah. are relevant, that's a good thing for the NFL. I don't think this is some landmark argument to make. Yeah, I mean, I've heard, you know, Colin Cowherd make this argument about college football where it's like geographically you'd want like Alabama, Ohio State, Texas, and USC to all be relevant because you cover all the, like... There are sport like unfortunately it would be great like the NBA finals was Phoenix and Milwaukee it'd be great and the NBA wants a world in which all 30 teams draw a national interest but it's just not Lakers Knicks if the Knicks were in the finals it would be a massive deal there there are sports where it's just there are certain teams where if they're good and actually I was kind of begrudgingly thinking the same thing while watching the game which was you know, NBC spent all of Thursday Night Football, like the one thing that they were promoting for their weekend Premier League coverage and had Al Michaels read it was Cristiano Ronaldo <laughs> returns to Old Trafford Sa Saturday, 10 a.m. on USA. Like they were building it up. Rebecca Lowe even joked today during the Leeds-Liverpool pre-match coverage, hey, we haven't talked about Ronaldo in 20 minutes. We should do that. And like, like there is this understanding that it's his league now. Like he's just the biggest star. The Premier League has kind of built its strength on the size of the league, on the size of the clubs. But in terms of like an individual superstar, this, the big Spanish clubs and PSG have had those big individual superstars for the last, you know, probably 10 years since Ronaldo left, maybe. But either way, like he is such a massive star that he's going to draw coverage. But... To, to your point about his rape accusation, I do think like that fair, a lot of people don't want to hear that fair because what you're doing is being fair, right? You said there was a rape accusation. It is only a civil case. It is not a criminal case. That's how journalists cover these things, right? Correct. And you have to state for his, like his side of the story does need to be covered because he has denied them and he's not under criminal charges. That is how you journalistically cover things fairly. And yet, I also understand in the aftermath of Me Too, I understand in the aftermath of women's advocacy that has happened really, I mean, you know, it's been happening forever, but, you know, these issues are being pushed forward, that it's going to be difficult for people to accept that, that there is a potentially a rapist who is playing in the NFL who is accused. The statistics on accusations are that, for the most part, they are true, almost entirely. They are true. And so when you have all these thoughts in confluence, it's difficult to kind of treat Ronaldo as just an athlete who's playing in games. My feeling is as long as you're constantly being fair, then you can cover him as an athlete, right? Because you've established, right, these are the standards by which I report on things. I've met all of them. Now he's an athlete who's doing things week in, week out in a sport that I cover. So I, I, I wouldn't necessarily have any moral qualms about it. But look, there's going to be people in your mentions that want you to talk about it all the time. But there's no news here. There's nothing new. So uh, just keep, keep on repeating the same things over and over again. I don't think really serves your audience. I would say a couple of things here. Just media literacy. I think it's really low mm -hmm. <laughs> nationally yeah. and globally mm -hmm. at this point. People and don't so understand what the job is. A lot of they people don't, don't really understand, understand that legally... You have to put in that he has denied the accusations in a court of law, that it has been dismissed as a criminal case, that it is still open 
as a civil case. Um, and all I would say is, and there's a bunch of idiots, obviously, on Twitter, like, don't come after me saying I have no integrity because I, I tweeted about Man United without mentioning Ronaldo's rape case, because just Google and see how much I've covered this over the last few years. Mm-hmm. It's been covered in a major way on the outlets where I am. Um, I would also point out, before we move away from the Premier League, that the top four teams right now are basically the top four teams everyone's expecting to see at the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> um, and well, other than Brighton, <laughs> they're, they're five, but it's uh, that's an interesting one. But you know, you've got City, Chelsea, United, and Liverpool in the top four right now, and so those are the four teams that everyone's expecting to see. And in future podcasts, we'll talk about these other teams in the Premier League as well. I do want to go to uh, the German Bundesliga, where there was a big game over the weekend involving our old friend Jesse Marsh. Losing with Leipzig at home 4-1 to Bayern Munich. And uh, I, I will say this, like, I think the scoreline was very flattering to Bayern Munich. I thought Leipzig was uh, was part of this game for a, a good portion of it. Uh, I, whether you're a Bayern Munich fan or a Leipzig fan, I don't like having marquee games in a, in a league season happening right after the international window because I don't mm-hmm. think either team had a lot of its best got their best guys out there. Um, this was a, a big one. I know for Jesse Marsh having Bayern Munich come in, Nagelsmann is the guy he replaced at Leipzig. Uh, Sabitzer, he took. Upamakano, he took from Leipzig. And unfortunate handball penalty on Kevin Campbell earlier, early in the game that uh, Lewandowski converted. Um, I thought Leipzig got back into the game Uh, later in the first half, but then start of the second half, really good for Bayern Munich. Uh, They go up 3-0, and that was basically it at that point. And I've had a few people ask me on Twitter, how much, how secure is Jesse Marsh in his gig? And I know there's some PTSD from Bob Bradley getting fired after 71 days at Swansea in the previous high point for a U.S. coach in European club soccer. And... I don't think this is the same situation with with Jesse Marsh. And also, he has drawn a pretty tough schedule here. He's got to play at Man City in Champions League on Wednesday in a group where they also drew PSG. <laughs> and I know that's frustrating for him. I did talk to him last week. Um, and... They've lost now three of four in the Bundesliga. The only one that was really surprising was the opener... Uh, losing at Mainz. Um, They did get a win at Stuttgart, but also lost to Wolfsburg. I think Jesse Marsh will have a fairly long leash from Red Bull for a few reasons. They know him. He's worked for Red Bull for many years now at different Red Bull clubs. Uh, They also knew that they were not going to be as good this season on paper with the players that, that they have. And so, um, I don't think there's going to be an issue with with losing to Bayern or, to be honest, City. Uh, I think what's going to, where Jesse Marsh is going to have to show himself is in the league. You know, they have a game next weekend against Colne. You got to yeah. win that game. You're yeah. not going to. He's not in danger of losing his job, but you need to start getting three points. Yeah, I mean, you look at their upcoming schedule after the Man City game, which is very easy for me to say, but. Uh, it's Cone, it's Hertha, it's Club Brugge in the Champions League, VFL Bochum, and then away at Freiburg. Those have got to, you've got to start racking up wins because, yes, they're not as good, but it's also a team that expects to be the second best team in Germany. And so you have to beat those kinds of teams. Losing away at Wolfsburg uh, was difficult. Losing on the opening day against Mainz was difficult. But uh, I, I, I have that PTSD that you described, though, with American managers. Like, I do worry for Jesse Marsh, because three losses in four is not where Leipzig expects to be. Now, more context. They've sold really important players. You mentioned Sabitzer, Upamakano as well to Bayern, Konate to Liverpool. They sold Timo Werner, obviously, last season. They just don't, they've, they've sold all their high-end players, and so Leipzig expects to regenerate new ones, but it takes some time to regenerate new ones, and you can see Dominic Schobosly is now in that team. They signed Andre Silva uh, from Eintracht Frankfurt, and so they're going to be bringing players through, and they'll get better. The question is, can you produce enough results? Can you play with that regular winning mentality that they've had? And then the the step that Jesse Marsh has to take as a coach 
very early to ask this of him, is in those Bayern games, in those Dortmund games, can you compete? Because I just feel like Leipzig go into those games feeling like the little brother against against Bayern Munich. Can you get out of that little brother mentality when you're going for Bundesliga titles, when you're trying to take down Bayern, when you're trying to go into the Champions League with PSG and with Manchester City? I actually think that Marsh has been really good in Europe with Salzburg, and so I'll be curious what kind of performance they put together in Manchester on Wednesday. That's the game that I'm definitely watching on in that Wednesday afternoon window. But yeah, I, I do worry for him just because you, you want to see him hit the ground running and succeeding. So... I'm I'm concerned. Yeah, and I get it. And I one thing about Jesse from talking to him is like he really tries to get his guys focused for the biggest games mm-hmm. of like whether it's Bayern, whether it's Man City, we can win these types of games. And what he's found is that in Germany in particular with German players that there is a real sort of sense of pecking order sometimes, even if you feel like you're lower on the pecking order than Bayern. He thinks that's part of the reason why Bayern has won nine straight league titles. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we'll see how they do at at, at City on Wednesday. I, I would expect Tyler Adams to start that game. He did not play over the weekend after playing all 90 minutes in all three U.S. qualifiers. He was one of only three players who did that along with Matt Turner and Miles Robinson. And Tyler Adams is pretty important for Leipzig, not just for the U.S. men's national team. So um, we'll see what they can do. You know, it's kind of crazy to me that you have this very congested international window where teams are playing three games when they're used to playing two. That's in CONCACAF, that's in UEFA, that's in Ball, And then being expected to come back for, you know, big club games over the weekend. And then, boom, Champions League starts two days later, three days later. Um, I'll be curious to see if teams are in good form in Champions League even midweek or just how yeah. tired, how tired are these players? Oh man, it has to be exhausting to just keep going and going and going international tournaments in the summer. And the American players are meant to be the ones that were well rested going into the season and taking advantage of that with their clubs because they got to be in preseason. They got to have nice summer vacations in tropical locales and have a nice time. But you get into the thick of the season, all of a sudden you're traveling from Germany to Nashville to El Salvador to Nashville again to San Pedro Sula to Germany again. And look, I mean, it's as comfortable to travel as travel can be, but, you know, playing 270 minutes in incredibly hot climates at this time of year, it's brutal. So I I do kind of wonder how very quickly that rest advantage evaporated and how it just really this season's about survival. Getting to the next year's World Cup is about survival. And because no one, no confederation, no league is giving up any bit of their competition. So it's just about trying to survive. And can you ever get to a place where it's like, all right, we're going to take a second, we're going to breathe, and we're not going to play another game? That's really the issue is can any of these leagues stop playing games? (laughs) I just was thinking about all these U.S. players who I saw in Honduras on Wednesday night. And then not many of them were playing 90 minutes over the weekend, but just the guys, some of the guys I saw on TV in Europe. And I was just like, oh man, that must be tough. <laughs> I, know how, I know how much yeah. I'm struggling and I didn't play. Um, yeah. Ricardo Pepe going from playing 90 minutes in a, a huge emotional swing to then going and playing your FC Dallas and scoring at the weekend. Fair play to him. But I was stunned to see him in the starting. I thought Frank Ohada would start for sure for Dallas, but Right back to it, man. Yeah, it's incredible. And I do want to talk MLS a little bit here. Inter-Miami, as mentioned earlier, now on the edge of the MLS playoffs, beating a real team, Columbus, 1-0. And we've started to see this for a little while now with with Inter-Miami, and you're following them very closely, obviously. What's changed in your opinion? Well, the, the thing that's changed in very recent times is they're defending better. Uh, they've kept three clean sheets in a row, which seemed like a goal that was miles away at the beginning of the season. And really, the remarkable thing is how much things have turned around after they lost 5-0 to New England. That is the nadir of their season. You really thought, man, Phil Neville has a job on, the, on his hands just to get this team on side. Never mind playing well. Like, you would have settled for, you know, eventually climbing in towards eighth and ninth and competing. But all of a sudden, they've gone on a run. So it started with the defensive improvement. I actually think a tactical improvement has really 
turned things around for them. They've gone to a 3-4-3, which really worked with Kieran Gibbs playing at left wing back. He got injured, and so Breck Shea has actually stepped in and done a really good job. But they're doing enough in the attack. It's still not great. But it's enough in the attack. Robbie Robinson, the number one pick in the college draft last year, has really improved. He's by far their most dynamic player in attack. Rodolfo Pizarro had a really good game against Toronto. He's put in some decent performances of late. Gregory in midfield has been an incredible introduction. Real credit to Chris Henderson for finding him. And then that back three, I mean... You, Inter Miami have among the highest paid defenders in the league in Gonzalez Pires and in Figal, and you're expecting them to kind of lead the team, and they actually have led the team with assists. So it's a mix that's working. Defensively, it's good right now. In the attack, it can still get better, but just the fact that they're not giving away cheap goals like they were for the first year and change of their existence, the fact that they don't really give up that many shots on target, they didn't to Columbus either. They're just playing more solidly. And the real credit here, in my opinion, goes to Phil Neville because you have to lift a team that just lost 5-0 to New England. He's gotten so much criticism for being a nepotism hire, for not being able to understand the league, and for all these things. And all of a sudden, over the course of 10 games, they've lost one, and they're in and around those playoff places with a team that a lot of people thought he couldn't turn around with DPs that a lot of people thought were not the right DPs for this league. And he's ground out results, and I think he deserves a huge amount of credit. It's really interesting to hear all that, you know, MLS, say what you will, too many teams probably make the playoffs. And and as we say at the end of every regular season, just making the playoffs should not be deemed a good season. Um, And yet the the races to get into the playoffs are pretty entertaining, actually, you know, because there's a lot of teams right around that line in both the East and the West. Miami is certainly one of them. And, you know, who knows? They could overtake another couple of teams right around them. I look at Montreal is is one of those that's sort of been reeling lately. Um, And I I could see Miami going even a a little bit higher. Um, Domestically, I want to ask you about something that is just sort of a wild story in the NWSL, and that's with the Washington Spirit. Um, If people, listeners, haven't heard much about this, they had to forfeit a game over the weekend against O.L. Reign due to violating protocols, medical protocols around COVID-19. This is one weekend after they canceled another game involving the Washington Spirit with Portland. That hasn't been ruled a forfeit yet. They had a bunch of COVID cases on the Washington Spirit, a bunch of unvaxxed players, according to reporting there. This all happens at the same time as the Washington Post and other outlets are writing stories about sort of what a mess internally the Washington Spirit has been. Richie Burke, the previous coach, had been pushed out, but the official team announcement said it was due to health problems when it turned out actually that wasn't the case, that he's been accused of and investigated for uh, verbally abusing players. Um, which he had been before he took the job. Which we knew about for a couple of years ago as well. And then Steve Baldwin, the owner, you've got a bunch of fans trying to push him out as the owner, sell the team Steve. You've got other owners inside the team trying to push to take over from Steve Baldwin, who just hired Ben Olsen last week to run soccer operations. Don't think anyone was expecting that one. Ben Olsen doesn't have a background in women's soccer. Um, what's going on here? <laughs> yeah, I I think the NWSL had like every once in a while these things just kind of pop up in this league and look they're they're trying their best and and I actually think this is a product you mentioned the fans the fans hold this league to account hold these clubs to account to kind of live up to values right I think more in my opinion than men's teams and men's leagues do right you look at you know even the notion that a team would trade for Deshaun Watson right now and the fans of that team would kind of welcome him with open arms right all right cool he's gonna make our team better I think the NWSL is being held to a standard. And in that dirty, sometimes dirty business happens, right? Like business is business. And so how do you balance those two things? Sports leagues haven't really tried that hard in the way that the NWSL is trying right now. And this club is coming up well short. And it's it's hard to reconcile the difficulties that they've had when you know Richie Burke's history, when... You're, you're trying to fix these problems, and all you seem to do is add more of them. The COVID thing is a disaster, right? I mean, to forfeit games now? Like, 
how are we still at a place where we're forfeiting games when the vaccine right. is readily available throughout the country? Uh, you're seeing some rhetoric of kind of people close to the team. They've been posting anti-vax stuff on social media. It's it's a difficult situation, and I I should read up more on it honestly. And the I, I just saw the athletic did a piece which is basically explaining everything that's happened, and yet that piece came out on Friday. And the team forfeited a game on Saturday, so they have to add to that piece even more. Um, but there's there's things here where the NWSL needs to have conscientious owners, conscientious managers, conscientious players, conscientious league officials, and they're going to be entities within that that fall short. And I'm glad that the fans hold them to account when they do. I agree with you on all of that. This just feels a lot like the Magic Jack situation. Uh, back in the old WPS, where the owner of that team, no longer living even, but like just a, a pretty disastrous human being, and in turned that team into sort of this weird personal fiefdom with some of the greatest women's players ever, like Abby Wambach and Megan Rapino, and treated players miserably in a lot of cases. And that was just wild. But like over the years, women's professional soccer has had some bizarre owners in this country. And uh, I think Steve Baldwin now falls into that group. And it certainly seems like uh, they should be be pushing at this point. And it sounds like they are, actually, if Mm -hmm. you read between the lines, to to get him out. Um, And and we'll see where this goes from here. Because obviously, you've got some celebrity minority owners in uh, the Washington spirit, including Chelsea Clinton, uh, w. Bush's daughter, one of them, um, and Dominic Dawes and Brianna Scurry, and you know they don't want to like some they don't want to be associated situation. with this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this gets fixed. Cecilia Kang is the is the name of the 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 owner who actually wants to buy the you know the majority mm-hmm. of the team. So we'll yeah. see where this story goes from here. Before we sign off, I want to talk about one other thing that's been in the news this week, and that is FIFA's plan, which they are now pushing very, very hard through Arsene Wenger. Um, And they brought a bunch of legends of the game, plus Alexi Lawless, to um, Doha last week to try and get these these FIFA legends, as they call them, the former players, to to jump on board as well. People like Ronaldo, Peter Schmeichel, Tim Cahill, a bunch of others. Uh, the idea for the plan is to have a Men's World Cup every two years. And I want to get your sense on that. We don't know full information at this point, but basically... Wenger is, is pushing a Men's World Cup every two years. The FIFA calendar... Uh, is not set from 2024 on. And so uh, he's also pushing as part of this change, fewer international windows, longer international windows in a year, maybe one in October or maybe one in October and one in March. Um, And this also, the process is a little sketchy because the people who are pushing it are these, like all these national, small national federations that stand to financially profit who most of them will never qualify for a World Cup. And and also just, do we want the World Cup every two years? Like, why why do we want this? Uh, well, I want it. <laughs> do you? I, I, yeah, I love the World Cup. Like, what's, what's ah. wrong with that? I mean, there's a Champions League final every year. We don't say, oh, man, we should have the Champions League final less often. Um, but so you're right. The, the people behind this are unsavory, other than Arsene Wenger, who I think probably has... <laughs> You know, some genuine motives. He's also paid by FIFA, right? So he's a spokesman. But I do, I, I don't like just the natural kind of, well, I, I don't like this because FIFA is, I, I think it's like, it's not really considered other than FIFA is proposing it, therefore I don't like it. Um, I do think that particularly if we're like, if the US had a vote, they should vote for more World Cups because nothing gets the American soccer interest in soccer going like the World Cup. Like, th- there is no other event that comes anywhere close. The Olympics doesn't come close. Uh, the UEFA Champions, uh, Champions League doesn't come close. The Premier League doesn't come close. The, you know, MLS doesn't come. Nothing gets anywhere near World Cups, right? And so, if you want to accelerate the growth of the sport in this country, you'd have more World Cups. But getting back to our earlier point, is there too much of this sport? Are we killing the players? That would be my concern, is the calendar's already too busy. There's already too many things going on. And we need to be thinking about having fewer competitions, not more. And so 
I am concerned that this would pack on to the fixture list. But purely from an interest standpoint, I wouldn't have... I would watch every World Cup game every two years. I would watch every World Cup game if it was every year. Right? I would watch every World Cup game that is on television during the summer. So from a pure consumer standpoint, I have no problem with this. I want more World Cups. It gets more people interested in soccer. But I, to me, the only concern would be the safety of the players, which has to be a, a, a legitimate concern. Actually, I really appreciate the fact that you that you're supporting this because I think it's ridiculous. Like it's why? I, okay, fair point. Like I I have a problem with diluting the World Cup, and I think this dilutes the World Cup uh, and the significance of it. I also think there's things that FIFA needs to be focusing on and prioritizing more than a World Cup every two years. Um, I like the idea, actually, that they're pushing for an expanded blockbuster club World Cup that has 24 teams or 32 teams. So what I think should happen is FIFA, in every four-year cycle, should have a men's World Cup, a women's World Cup, a men's club World Cup, a blockbuster one, and a blockbuster women's club World Cup. Mm -hmm. And that should be your four summers of FIFA. And then you have, oh, and then maybe in one of those years, you have the continental competitions, right? Yeah, the continental competitions, can, yeah. yeah, the continental competitions can find their way. I also think that if you go to a men's World Cup every two years, you stand to really harm the women's game mm-hmm. because you want the women to have a marquee event uh, and, and not have interference. Um, and I, I think one summer every four years the men's game probably shouldn't have any tournaments and i i think the players would be better off for it i think it wouldn't dilute the the importance of the existing tournaments and i i just think that's a better way to go so, i think I'll, so let me yeah, ask you a question but, grant like do you so when you say you think the world cup would be diluted do you think there would be people that wouldn't watch the world cup because it's every two years as opposed to every four what what's getting diluted other than like this incredible scarcity, right? Like when the U.S. didn't make the World Cup in 2018, it was like, Jesus, we got to go eight years between World Cups? Like the significance of like, right? So you lose some significance. But when you say dilute, like do you think that there are people in soccer mad countries or even countries like ours who just love a big event that wouldn't watch the World Cup? Like what, what do you think is getting diluted I don't think there? It gets, I don't think it gets comes down to would people watch or not? I think people would watch a World Cup, a men's World Cup every two years. I, I, I believe they would. I believe they would watch a Super League, even if they had real issues with it and said they did. I think they would watch the best teams play each other. But I don't think that should be the measuring stick on whether you should do something. Mm-hmm. Because I think there need to be some adults in the room. What is the main, like, let's just be, perfectly honest here the main reason far and away for fifa to want to do a men's world cup every two years is to produce revenue for fifa Mm -hmm. okay it's not anything else so let's not say that and act like that's the case um and so i think adults supposed guardians of the game need to think very clearly about what they're doing, and it can't just be about the main motivation of making money for FIFA and its member nations. And so that, to me, is really important here. And I do think that, like, if FIFA wants to grow the women's game, which, by the way, should be the far and away highest priority thing for them over the next few decades, by the way, then they need to get going with a Women's Club World Cup and make it an extravaganza event once every four years do the same thing with the men and you can you can make a ton of money off of that and use that to support and invest in the women's game but i don't think a world cup once every two years is in the interest of the players i do think it dilutes the importance of the tournament and i i'm all for some big ideas in this new calendar from 2024 on and thinking about things in some different ways. I want to see international games matter more. And I think we started moving in that direction a bit more in recent years. Like there are a lot of meaningless friendlies for way too long a time in international soccer. But, you know, we've seen this like Rory Smith, I thought had a good suggestion in the New York Times, which is whether it's the Euro 
or the World Cup, if you get to the last 16 of the previous tournament, you get an automatic berth in the next World Cup or the next Euro. And that way, you don't have to have as long of a qualifying process mm-hmm. because. But those, but those, you don't need those that. big, those big teams will still fill the international window with games, though, right? Like the thing they is, will. is that every every organization in soccer wants more product to put on television. That's what FIFA, as you said, is doing here. And if they had said, "We're going to take this money and we're going to, you know, put it in towards investing in the women's game." It would be cool, but you don't believe them, right? I think the ultimate issue here is that FIFA has an enormous credibility issue, well-earned over the course of generations, right? I don't, again, necessarily think that this is a bad idea. I like the World Cup. I'd be totally okay having more of it. But as you said, it's those ulterior motives. It's that really this is about... Like, you think of, like, for example, just Jack Warner. You just think of Jack Warner getting more money as a result of this. And he's like, I don't like that. I don't want, I don't want that guy to have more money. Like, and, and, that, and that's what you imagine happening all over the world. And so that, that I understand, is a, is a reasonable concern. But I think on its merits, in and of itself, I, you, know, you know, people have argued against a Women's World Cup every two years. Just says, wait, this can't only just be about the World Cup. we got to build out other competitions. And yet... I think the women's game would be served by having a World Cup every two years. I really do. But I actually do. I do think a, the women's game would be would fit better with a once every mm-hmm. two years World Cup than the men's. And I do think that we shouldn't just feel like we should do exactly the same with the women's game that we do with the men because it's Very in a much different agree. place. Growing it is different. I heard in I the aftermath it, of this, people suggesting a governance for women's football that's just for women. Was it you, I think? I saw, I saw there were people who were talking about just a governance system that's just for women's football so they can come up with their own ideas that work for their sport. And, and I'm not against that either, though mm-hmm. I would like, I want FIFA to be better investing its money mm-hmm. more of it in women's soccer and so if they're totally divorced from it then that's an issue too because I, I want fifa and all the money that comes in from the men's world cup to help invest in growing the women's game so that it can stand even more on its own because they didn't invest in it for decades and decades and that was a problem so there's a lot we could have a, a whole podcast yeah. around this but um it's interesting to see what's happening. I also, before everyone on the women's side yells at me, yes, I know that they're trying to grow the women's Euro as well. And so I know the reasons why people on the women's side only want a World Cup once every four years. And I get it. Uh, by the way, Jill Ellis, who I'm hoping to get on the show at some point, has recently been given the Arsene Wenger equivalency role on the women's side by hmm. FIFA. So interesting. I'll be curious to see if she pushes for a once every two years women's World Cup. want to get her sense of things as well. But we should probably get going. Always a pleasure to speak to you, Chris. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Grant. Now, here's my interview with Dan Layden. Our guest now is an extremely talented illustrator and designer whose work you can see in several places, including in my Football with Grant Wall newsletter. Dan Layden is based in Ireland, and you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at Dan Layden, L-E-Y-D-O-N. Dan, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks very much for having me on, Grant. Uh, you've seen a lot of me lately, or at least you've been messaging each other <laughs> yes. a lot lately. Um, it's been a lot of fun starting my newsletter recently, and one of the best parts has been hearing the positive response to your work on it, including illustrations mm-hmm. of Ricardo Pepe, Tyler Adams, Jesse Marsh, and Greg Burhalter. Could you explain a little bit to our listeners about how you do that work, including that work in particular? Yeah. Um, so those pieces have a quite tight turnaround time. So I live in Ireland, so you're generally on the East Coast time of the States. So I'll be like five hours ahead of you, I think. That's how it works. So those days I'll hop out of bed at half five, six, and you'll send me an email on maybe the main talking point of the game. And um We've got about six hours, I think, till the work has to be finished. But generally, I'll try and have it to you within three, three and a half. And then you can have changes. Um, <laughs> so then, like, I start thinking. Now, the, the match ones where it's a match reaction piece, they generally have less time. So they won't be as conceptual as the larger pieces. But I will start by finding a reference photo. Uh, I'll chat to you through email on what you want for the piece. The main thing with these is the tone. Because let's say the match didn't go well, the match went amazing, things didn't pan out. I've got to address the main tone of the game. That's the main thing with these illustrations. Like 
it can look good, but you have to match colors, mood, um, the way the subject is moving, how close you crop, the facial expression, all these things. So I'm swirling that around in my head for the first half an hour. That's the scariest bit too, because <laughs> you're trying to come up with what you're going to do. And I'll find a good reference photo, send it to you. Uh, you usually give me the yay or nay, and then I can start getting the line work together. I'll send that over maybe a half an hour later. If you say yes, then I can go to color. And the main thing there is if you think of the line work as the scaffolding for the piece, what I do after that, like I could make nine versions of that image using the same line work and the color and the lighting changes the mood on every piece. So once the face is pretty accurate, that's the hardest bit. That's the stress out of the way. And then it is just, uh, what would you call it? The, it's basically the fun bit. It's the, yeah, it's like cosmetic. Yeah, the, it's that side of things. So I just have to match the colors to the tone of the piece then. And hopefully that takes like three and a half hours. I send to you, you might have feedback. I'll go in and tweak. And then I send you over the final image and you publish, I think, 9 a.m., which might be two in the afternoon for me. So that's it's, in, it's incredible. I've had so much fun just experiencing this and, and seeing it come together because you're able to produce really good stuff on, on a really tight deadline. And, and I do appreciate the time difference as well, because <laughs> like the other night in Honduras, like, you know, it's at, you know after midnight where I am local and, and we're communicating, you're sort of just getting up and going. Um, and there was a very different tone, as you talk about, between the second U.S. qualifier, which was a very disappointing tie at home against Canada, and a win away in the third qualifier at Honduras with Ricardo Pepe scoring on his debut as an 18-year-old. And so... It is really interesting to me. Like I remember we were talking after the second game and I, the the three words that come to mind now for me are worried Greg Berhalter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. That was a pretty tough one. Cause I think, I think we were talking about, do Oh uh, yeah. There might've been, you were uh, aiming at doing a slightly different subject before the game, but the game didn't go the way we wanted. Um, yeah. So I had to, scrounge around for you know these perfect reference images with that expression and thankfully the players that we'll be covering there is a lot of photos on them mm -hmm. uh, and what's nice nowadays is a lot of players have a lot of social media presence so they're putting selfies up and i am going through their instagram profiles and taking them and seeing what will work but uh yeah the one for the second game <laughs> i kind of had to capture that uh staring into the kind of void or whatever, just this staring past what's there, you know, thinking three matches down the line. And uh, that's hard. Like, that is hard. And I just try to turn my mind off to what if this goes wrong for Grant? Because <laughs> if I'm coming to you at half 11, you know, going, oh, it, it just doesn't look like him. <laughs> like, um, I've been renovating a house for the last year, so I've been living at home. And my mom will generally be up out of bed at like nine, half nine. And I'm holding my iPad with a photo of like Tyler Adam. <laughs> I think that's his name. And then my yes. drawing going, I hope this looks like him. And she says that the pressure she feels on her shoulders when I turn around with the iPad <laughs> for her to go, yeah, you've got it. Like, that's scary. <laughs> but uh, thankfully, we're three for three. So. We are three for three, and and uh, you know, and Tyler Adams looked like Tyler Adams, you know, just really, really good stuff. The same for Greg Burhalter and Ricardo Pepe. Now, for Pepe, it was really interesting, you know, totally different tone. You, you know, U.S. has just won this game and crisis averted, and you know, how you used color, I thought was was really interesting in that, and it ended up being connected to how the the new U.S. Nike jerseys look, the, you know, the coloring on there. And how did, how did that come together? Um, I suppose, I think I'm correct in saying that the week before he had only chosen to sign for the States, like it was up between, you know, him playing for Mexico. Right. So like for him to choose the week before, play the game, score the winner, the campaign's back on track. That feels like uh, a type of explosion maybe 
So I saw the jersey and I thought like the best way I can describe it is, you know, when you see, a, um, this is a weird analogy, but you know, when you see like a moose head and it's stuck on a wall <laughs> and you yeah. only see the neck, I was thinking, hmm, I'll put him on a wall of that pattern for the States. But then uh, the technical side of it was I drew the purple or blue pattern and I flipped it and I changed the way that that um, appeared on the layer under it. So that uh, I think amplified the colors. So that gives it uh, it's, it's kind of hard to explain. But when you do these things, it can step the image back. So you are aware that there's a foreground and midground and the actual background. So that type of stuff can give them a bit of depth. Mm. And I think the colors in that, the trick to doing these things is the one with Bearhalter was somber. Mm-hmm. And I feel like drew that into his eyes because he has a nervous, not even, maybe not nervous, but he's very focused. Yeah. And I tried to draw the image into that. But with this one, I tried to like explode it from that. So that's what, um, the, way I, the way I actually did that was high saturated colors. They kind of bring everything to the foreground. So it's more in your face. Whereas with the bear halter one, you nearly have to go looking for it because it's it's a bit kind of step back. But um, maybe I'm the only one that picks that stuff up. But that's kind of floating around in my head when I'm doing it. No, that's fascinating to me. Um, and I'm wondering how much does it help to follow soccer closely and have a knowledge of the sport to do your illustrations? Yeah, that was something that I was aware of. Like I've been working for ten years, so I came out of college in 2009. I studied product design and I did freelance work. I had a side job for like three years, two, no, for two years. And the night I gave up was, I think the last time a massive storm hit New York, that was 2012, I think maybe. I I remember what it was, Hurricane Sandy, was that the name? Yeah. I think, Yeah. yeah. So that was the night that I stopped my side job. And I thought, oh, God, I hope work comes in. And then the next morning, I had an email from Nike to do a global social media campaign. And what drew them to me was that um, I had a knowledge of the game, but also liked uh, creating artwork. And you have to think, that was 10 years ago. So football art now is like massive. But there maybe at the time, there was about 10, 10 people doing it. So... That was something I was aware of very early on, that I had a knowledge of the game, but I could also create artwork. And that led to uh, some uh, consultancy work, freelance basis with Nike uh, ahead of one of their uh, yearly campaigns to see what they were going to do with everything. So I did a bit of work for them. I made a few reports. And I have to say, like I saw some of the things I put in filtering down through to things I saw on TV and in kind of clothes and stuff. So... That, that was basically um, the value of having that knowledge of following the game, having played the game, knowing the game. Uh, I think it does translate um, to the final work, yeah. And sort of what's your personal story? How did you get into being an illustrator in the soccer space? And and what's what's this New York connection? Could you explain that and, and how you ended up in Ireland? Uh, yeah, so I was born in Ireland in 1987. Uh, my mom was born in New York in 63. My dad was born in Ireland in 63. So they had me in 87 and they went back to New York for two years to work. So I think that's obviously what a lot of people do. They go over there at work and they're able to buy a house when they come home. So we came back in 89. So my mom's American, but like I've got relations in all over the place. So I'd go over now and again. I think I was eligible for uh, the passport a while ago, but I think it... Uh, I think it went or something, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. So look, but um, so there is there there is a big enough connection there. But uh, yeah, so I was born in '87, stayed in Ireland from 1990, went to college 2005. Oh yeah, my life is punctuated by football. Uh, the last day of secondary school, which would be high school, the last day was the day that Liverpool won the Champions League in 2005. Now, they never won anything of note while I was in school for the whole thing. And on the last day in the evening, they won the Champions League. <laughs> so I just like went to school the next day to just like make fun of people that uh, supported other teams because <laughs> I never had that. <laughs> so that was the summer, the summer after I did product design for four years. Um, I never pursued a job in it, but... I think that gave me a very solid grounding in how to organize projects, how to work with concepts, that side of things. Because 
Uh, I don't know. I suppose if you're an illustrator, you might be like really creative or something. But I don't think I am really creative. I think I'm just organized. Uh, mm. you, you know, you learn to organize your head and coming up with a fancy idea is just a process of elimination. Mm. Like kind of researching something and trying to put things together over and over. And then you'll have an idea, like two interesting things might, might end up working. Um, so that's where the college thing came in. Uh, I've played football my whole life. Uh, so from about 93 until 2003 when I tore my ACL uh, and I tried to come back and I just kept doing it so I've ended up having like four knee operations and uh, I just I knocked it on the head in 2012 so I haven't since I've been a football illustrator I haven't been able to play football wow wow Um, and would you say that there was a single big career break for you or, or anything like that yeah definitely Graham Hunter, he's a pretty well-known journalist, works in, I think he's based in Barcelona still. Yeah. But Graham, Graham's massive. Like, so when I came on Twitter first, <laughs> I used to basically like pester Graham all day, sending him my work. <laughs> Graham, please retweet this. Graham, please retweet this. All day. I, I used to do that to all the journalists. <laughs> and he took note and he let me illustrate his first book, which was the book on Barcelona. Now that was my first job. I did it at the end of 2011 and that book went on to win sports book of the year award. I think it was very big and it coincided with like the biggest time in Barca's history. So that was my first job. And uh, I don't know. I think that gave me like a seal of approval for many football fans. They'd see me in that and they'd know, Oh, he, he did those. So that was a really good job. I got to do, I think, 12 illustrations for the book and each one was that uh, I had to read the chapter and then just sum it up, which is like, that's fun. <laughs> that's just like, Oh yeah, I just get to do anything. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was, that was the first big job. And then I got the Nike one maybe a month later. So um, yeah, it was pretty good. Uh, the Nike one led to me uh, making a bit of money and I was able to buy an apartment and from there, I've, I've just been living this lucky existence <laughs> of drawing football. <laughs> I mean, Graham Hunter's the best. I I have hit him up when I've visited Barcelona over the years for stories. He's been extremely helpful. Um, you know, obviously terrific writer. He's on television as well, and that's that's really cool. I didn't realize that you had gotten your kind of your yeah, big break yeah, with yeah. him. Um, and I mean. You've also you've done work for a lot of different publications, including The Ringer, The Guardian, Sports Illustrated. Um, you've had corporate clients that have included, as you mentioned, Nike, Facebook, Coca-Cola, Twitter, Liverpool FC. Um, what kind of work have you done for those places? Is it is it generally similar or is it more varying? Well, I, I'll say like I'd class the way I operate as my main aim is to be able to produce a wide range of things and work across a few different areas. So I do illustration. I do motion design as well. I've tried to branch into that. So the motion design has, I bought a new computer in 2018 to learn it. And I got my first job in it working for was Gatorade. I had to do a project with Gatorade. And I <laughs> I didn't even know how to use the program. So I basically like <laughs> used the job to learn the program and I got paid. <laughs> and um, that was brilliant though. That Because it was fairly, it's fairly basic stuff. It's not like I'm doing full color animation, big scenes. It's... Um, little animations for WhatsApp and things like that. So the job with Facebook was a 24 illustration sticker pack for WhatsApp to coincide with the beginning of the fantasy football season. Um, And that was released, I think, maybe a month ago. So I suppose that job was the the coolest for saying to people that I'd done it and I could go, oh yeah, it's just in your phone. It's on WhatsApp. And they could look (laughs) and it has my name. It was the first sticker pack. And it's like, "Ah, wow. like I just try and like I try and work hard, but I try and really appreciate that I'm lucky in having a job where I can do stuff that I like like that because it's a rare thing. And uh, I, I, I try and appreciate it, not take it for granted and just like keep working hard. I'm never going to stay. Oh, well, I'm kind of doing OK now or whatever. I, I don't want that. I just want to keep learning new things and moving into new areas, trying different stuff like just to keep rolling. Um, I think the main thing I like is 
Uh, when I started Football Illustration and I was pestering all the journalists, sending them things, I like that type of uh, zest for the new thing. So I want to keep ch- if I want to keep chasing things like that. I want to start doing a new thing where I'm really bad, so I get to learn and get good at it and have that thrill just over and over. <laughs> no, that makes sense. I, I mean, in terms of the technology that you use, like what is it? Okay, yeah. Um, I'll give you just a quick rundown of what I do. So I'll do I'll do the artwork. Um, that might be just for a social media artwork thing, which doesn't have to move. Then I'll have to make artwork that does move. Um, so I used to use Photoshop for all my stuff. I had a drawn tablet, uh, which was fairly like the same size as an iMac screen. And I used to draw on that. But I got an iPad in 2018 at the end of the year. And Pro- Procreate is a drawn app on that. It's 20 euros once. If you want to get Photoshop and all that package, it's 58 a month. Wow. So I use that for drawing. Now, I still use all those programs because they're the animation ones too. But I use Procreate to do all the artwork for, let's say, the ones I've made for you. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is any artwork you make in the program, it records every stroke you make and it can make a 30-second video of the artwork. You know, um, it shows it from zero to 100. And it's, it's fun to watch. It is hmm. But um, so that's generally what I do. The iPad has like changed everything. Mm-hmm. So I went on holidays uh, about two years ago um, traveling around Japan and I just brought the iPad, just wandering around, just drawing and the iPad like <laughs> perfect. It's amazing. It really is amazing. I can just do my thing on the road. It's huh. crazy. Wow. That's really neat. Um, and what kind of work do you do outside of soccer? Because I know you don't, do only soccer yeah uh the last year since i've moved into making the motion work uh i've been working on some apps in the states and i've had to do like baseball football basketball and also cricket and then i've been doing a bit of esports as well which hmm. like i still know nothing about that but um I've been, so that's like obviously that area is so big and i don't even know about it and i know it's big so you know um <laughs> Yeah, so like I was covering all these players in the States that like I don't even know who they are and I don't think they're even that big yet. There's a guy called like Jalen Suggs. I don't know. Uh, he's a basketball player. So I'm just okay, thinking yeah. maybe, I'll, maybe I'll be able to talk to someone about basketball and they'll be like, oh, you know Jalen Suggs? Like, I don't know <laughs> if he's big or not. But uh, so I yeah, am. I'm slowly branching out. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, and has your style changed? over time oh yeah i think generally if you're a football illustrator people know you for a thing you do maybe a series of work you do some way you draw uh i think the one thing that people keep saying to me is that it's like i've got a hundred styles now i'm not saying they're all good (laughs) um i like i made a sketchbook and released it last year and uh i put the quote in from Winston Wolf in was a pub fiction where he's like, just because you are a character doesn't mean you have character. And like I've changed it to be just because you have a style doesn't mean that that has style. So my aim is to come up with a style that is completely signature and people know it. And it also is good <laughs> because people could know it and it might be, Oh, <laughs> uh, so that's, that's the aim really. Very cool. Um, and where do you want to go with this career-wise in the coming years? Uh, oh, that's a good one. Uh, <laughs> the first uh, TV thing I ever did where someone was chatting to me, uh, you know, doing an interview for, you know, uh, chatting about the work. I just said it as a joke at the end, like, because I just think you might as well set your goals high. So <laughs> the next time they send a rocket to Mars, I want my artwork on it as an example of the art <laughs> So I'm just going to go with that. <laughs> but seriously, but in a serious way, like the last few years, um, I released three books. My number one aim from when I was a kid was that I wanted to be a writer. Always. That was my main thing. So I've released three books, but all them books are basically kind of compilation books where I've just put all my artwork from that year in and I might have put a bit of new new work in, but the aim at the moment, and I'm I'm like nineteen thousand words into it, is to create a book that I write, and then I put the book down, and then I look at it, and then I make artwork for the book. 
So I'm concentrating on the 2005 Champions League final because that happened like on that cusp of me leaving school, going to college. And it's just such a crazy match. Uh, like I was looking at the winners of the tournament since the year before Porto won it. And that year that Liverpool won it. Now they were wild cards. They were minnows, you know, since that it's just Milan, Barca, Juve, Man United, Bayern, like, you know. So I do think it is interesting and in it's the last time that some unfancy team went and won it. Uh, so that that's my thing now. Like maybe it's bad to say it because you know when you say your goals, you lose a bit of oomph or whatever. But I've been chipping away at it, so I'm just going to keep going. That's that's exciting to hear. I can't wait to hear more about that in the future. Um, Thanks, man. You know, obviously Liverpool. It sounds like had a big impact on you in, in winning the mm. Champions League in 2005. You got to work with Liverpool eventually yeah. what what was that like for you yeah um i really like that like that's why i've got them uh, i always put them high on the client list because it's just a big thing for me um um it like they had they had asked me to work twice and i wasn't able like they asked me the night i was going to japan and i was like oh <laughs> um so i had to turn it down and the other time i was going to the states i was doing that train journey from chicago to san francisco so oh, wow. i was like oh i can't <laughs> I, I can't do it again but the third time, yes. And I think I've done like maybe 13 or 14 bits for them, which is which is like, oh man, it's it's just cool. It's cool to be just emailing them. You know, oh, I've got an email from Liverpool. <laughs> uh, yeah, like I love that. It's it's brilliant. It, it is brilliant. Yeah, I love it. Next time we talk, we might have to talk about your train journey from Chicago to San Francisco because I don't think even many Americans uh, have done yeah. that one. <laughs> Uh, I, I think it was the I did it it was the last year of having the kind of diner carriage where you have to sit down with just random people <laughs> oh, oh my god oh the people you meet like it is just um, oh, it was really cool though and it's so cheap as well I think it's like $140 like it's huh. it's lovely it's really good maybe someday I'll have to do it there's a whole episode of Sex in the City where they they have a uh, a train trip that goes from New York, I think, to San Francisco. And, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. okay. Uh, and so it has come up in pop culture a little bit. And now all of our listeners know that I have seen every single episode of Sex in the City. It's a long story. I got the box set for my wife for Christmas once, so <laughs> that's why I've seen every episode three times. Uh, you weren't expecting to go in this direction, Dan. My apologies. Uh, <laughs> But we're going to wrap up here. You have a website where, where people can purchase your work, including your work for my newsletter. Where can people go for that? It's um, You just go to danladen.shop. That's that's the thing. And everything is there. Um, yeah. So I've got like books, T-shirts, posters, uh, and I'm always adding things to it. So mm -hmm. it's a block. People should definitely check it out. There's a lot of great stuff on there. And uh, just so happy that, that Dan is... Uh, been able to to work with me on my newsletter. There's going to be more stuff moving forward. Uh, Dan Layden can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Dan Layden, L-E-Y-D-O-N. Dan, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Dan Layden as well as producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>